WHMP. And hello, and thank you for joining us on today's Afternoon Buzz. Hello, Dan Torres. What's happening, Buzz? How's well, your Wednesday? Uh, we had uh, huge primaries. There's a lot to talk about that we won't talk about right now. Um, but um, yesterday was a, a day that uh, showed us a lot of things, Dan. It showed us just how, as if we didn't know, how diverse a society we live in in terms of different viewpoints and um, I think Liz Cheney has become an amazing story. I think that Fetterman and Dr. Oz is an interesting story. And of course, Alaska, we'll find out what happened there. It's, it was a day of some moment, and it, I think that it's going to be a very interesting September and, and I, November. Yeah, and November, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, This is going to be one interesting election season, especially yeah. as it gets closer to actual election date. November 8th. Tuesday, November 8th. We'll be there. We'll be talking about it. But, you know, in terms of our segment, our first segment today, as diverse a society as yesterday demonstrates that we are, I think that one thing most people, I don't think there are too many people who don't decry the condition that we all lived under since March of 2020 when that pandemic changed life as we knew it and inflicted such unthinkable injury on so many and on the loved ones of so many. Dan, I was looking at the New York Times this morning. According to yesterday's New York Times counter, deaths in the United States by that dreaded virus now stand at 1,030,000 over that people in the United States that, um, that with some measure of certainty we can say they had, that's how many deaths we suffered since March of 2020 from COVID. Globally, that number is 6,440,000. And while these numbers sound staggering, we think of the people, the ripple effect, the people who were secondary victims to this dreadful virus. How many people have actually gotten the virus? Well, according to the CDC, as of the fifth, the sixth, excuse me, of August, um, we have a population of over 335,092,426,945. people as of August 6th. That's around 29% of our population. That's almost one in three of us have contracted the viruses. And where are the voices of those who have been so inflicted? Well, sometimes we lose the humanity involved in it but today we're going to hear a couple of important voices they're from a national grassroots non-partisan non-profit organization called marked by covid and joining us is co-founder and co-director Kristen Urquiza and justice leader from our own Goshen Massachusetts Jennifer Ritz Sullivan ladies thank you so much for joining us thank you for having us yeah, thank you so much. Well, I guess um, I'll throw it first to Kristen, who is, I understand, I read one of the co-founders and co-executive directors of the national organization. Why don't you tell us a little bit about Marked by COVID, how the organization started, what its mission really is? I would love to. Um, sadly, the organization started just a few days after I lost my own dad to COVID in June of 2020. And I was, I was lost, I was outraged, and I also was really taken back by the fact that no one was talking about the, the people behind the, the numbers, um, that those were real individuals that, care, that left behind a family and loved ones like myself and my community. Um, so I shared my story very publicly and got a huge groundswell of other impacted people coming forward saying, thank you for your courage for speaking out. I want to do this too. So it was very clear that there was a, a need for impacted folks to be able to share their stories. And uh, we sort of ran with that. And today we're now the largest um, a nonprofit that's focused on COVID justice and remembrance that's completely led by um, impacted people like myself and Jennifer who are really focused on giving space for um, people who have fared the worst to be able to share our stories and rebuild in a way that 
um, doesn't lose the humanity so that we can ensure that the next time something bad happens and unfortunately there will be a next time we do we act in a way that prioritizes the life of all of our loved ones first and foremost what a noble mission before i move to jennifer let me just ask you what was your dad's name how old was he and what did he do thanks my dad's name was mark urquiza he had, was 65 years old and had worked in manufacturing all his life. He was an incredibly big character. He never met a stranger. And while he did not have much to give financially, he would give the sh shirt off his back in and, and any moment of time to help somebody in need. So he is greatly, greatly missed. Uh, for good reason. It sounds like a tremendous loss and of course we're sorry for it i want to turn to you jennifer ritz sullivan as you said we are neighbors you're a goshener and i'm an ashfielder and um you are a justice leader in marked by covid how did you get involved um so i lost my mother on december 5th of 2020 uh she was one of over seventy-seven thousand people in the u.s that we know of to die of covid um, in that month alone. And I felt the immediate need to speak out about it. My mom was public on her Facebook. Uh, she posted a selfie in the hospital. That was her primary way of communicating her last two and a half weeks in ICU as um, she was slowly suffocating to death and was barely able to speak. Um, so I felt the need to amplify her voice and I began speaking out to press and it didn't feel like enough and it, I didn't feel support. <laughs> so I began to Google um, on my then dial-up internet in Goshen. Now we've got high speed. So um, I was looking for other people who were enraged and I came across Marked by COVID and Kristen in particular who spoke directly to the fact that her father would be alive had the government not neglected um, taking care of its its people. Um, so I linked up with the group in January of 2021 and soon took on a volunteer leadership role. As Kristen mentioned, we are all volunteers. So we do this on top of our daily lives, on top of every other thing that we have going on, including still surviving an ongoing pandemic. Um, I myself am immune compromised. My husband's an essential worker. This impacts our daily lives every single day. Jennifer, what was your mom's name? How old was she and, and what did she do? My mom was Erla Dawn Dimitriotis and she was 66 years old and she had just semi-retired. So mm. my mom was, um, pretty unique in the fact that she did not have the ability to graduate um, school. She was taken out of school in middle school. And later in life, she went back to college. And as an adult, she earned her bachelor's and then her master's in psychology. At the age of like 58, she mm. earned her, her master's. Um, and she was just experimenting with starting her own jewelry business. She was so artistic. Um, anything she touched i mean my, my mom was just incredibly gifted sounds um, like she was and, and this isn't the first yeah, yeah. time i asked you about your mom um uh, listeners may recall i certainly do there was an article about you and your loss and your mom in the daily hampshire gazette and i called you up and i remember well our conversation we spoke for i think about 25 minutes i invited you to the show you were still sobbing and you were unable to you let me know within a day or two you were un, you were still not ready to go and talk about this uh, on the air i'm really um very glad and gratified uh, that you were now able to you know healing takes a long time and some things we'll never heal from and the death of a parent is is one of them so you are what's called a justice leader jennifer uh what is a justice leader what are your responsibilities in marked by covid so I do a lot of leadership training in a trauma-informed capacity as I have 15 years in the trauma field, um, specifically mental health field. Um, 
I train other folks across the country uh, in how to amplify the, the voices in our community, um, how to tell their stories in a way that it's true, there are some things we never heal from, like grief, grief is lifelong, but uh, the trauma that comes along with telling our stories is unique, and especially because it's still unfolding. Um, you know, we just lost 61 people in Massachusetts last week, this is still happening. So to be speaking out about it for folks is incredibly difficult due to the, the trauma that they're still faced with on a daily basis, but also with the constant gaslighting um, from the administration and society. Um, so we build community. Um, I connect people to their legislators on a state and national level, um, set up meetings with legislators in the hopes of creating policy change. Um, a lot of work around the COVID Memorial Day, which is something that we want to see established at a federal level and also a state level. Well, I definitely um, want to return to that. So let me ask uh, yeah. Kristen two questions. First of all, um, why is it important that people who have suffered a loss such as your loss and Jennifer's loss, why is it important that you have this sense of community with others who have suffered the loss? Does that help you get out of the morass of grief? What is helpful about it? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, throughout the course of my loss, um, I have confronted a lot of people who have not suffered a COVID loss that um, for whatever reason think it's appropriate to downplay or bully my loss. Um, oftentimes people like us are, are first, instead of you know asking about our loved ones and offering condolences, people are quick to um, ask whether or not they were vaccinated or if they had a pre-existing condition sort of microaggressions that undermine the fact that a, that we're grieving a, a parent, um, but also, you know, to the more extreme individuals who, you know, have called us names, actors, um, and have, you know, just jumped to incredibly horrific conclusions. And, um, you know, COVID bereaved people get it. They were, we, sat on the other side of Skype or FaceTime or Zoom saying goodbye to our loved ones. We we experienced a type of loss within this highly politicized context that I only think survivors of war or people who lost a loved one to a car accident that was sudden and unexpected can really relate with. So we've, our community has created safe spaces for us to be able to share and be in because it's, you know, simply it's inconvenient to the narrative of everything's okay and we're back to normal. Yeah, or, and that, that is just so important that you've created that. I'm, I'm only interrupting because we have to take a break, um, but we are going to come back. We are talking to uh, co-founder and co-director Kristen Urquiza and justice leader uh, Jennifer Ritz Sullivan of the organization Marked by COVID. Folks, if you type into your browser, Marked by COVID, it's .org, and you will see there the, an organization that promotes accountability, recognition, justice, and a pandemic-free future. We're going to talk about what Jennifer raised, which is advocating for a COVID Memorial Day on a federal and state level. We'll be back with Marked by COVID right after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Hey, everyone, it's Gordon Oliver. And I'm Tina Marie. And we're popping in to get everyone excited about this week's The Cambridge Connection radio show. Ooh, can't wait to hear who we're speaking with next. And before we share this week's guests, I want to remind everyone that we're here on WHMP every Saturday morning at 9.30 a.m. to help you, our listeners, navigate life's options, especially when it comes to financial wellness and empowerment. Let's not forget about all the success stories, too. Okay, Tina Marie, you ready? Ready. Ever heard of Credivolve? Well, if you've been turned down for a mortgage, then Credivolve might have your solution. This Saturday at 9.30 a.m. 
In a couple of hours or less, you can be at the beach, toes in the sand, bouncing in the waves, which means fresh just off the boat seafood is only a couple of hours away or minutes away at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant, where the seafood is delivered direct from the fishing boats. Cod, salmon, scallops, no warehousing. It goes from the dock to the kitchen door. Try Paul and Elizabeth's fish and chips with that lighter-than-air tempura batter. Try the scallops broiled with garlic butter and fresh herbs. There's no beach at Paul and Elizabeth's, but the seafood? Right in your town, maybe even in your neighborhood, an immigrant is building a new life, trying to find their way, all while learning a new language. The International Language Institute offers free English classes for immigrants and refugees, for true beginners and others, like students in our Bridge to College and Careers program. One of the nation's top language schools is right here, with free English classes for immigrants and refugees. The International Language Institute in downtown Northampton. Hi, I'm Kate Kelly, public health nurse with the city of Northampton. The Northampton Health Department is holding vaccination clinics in Northampton and other locations in the region. Outdoor walk-in availability has reopened at the Northampton High School. Dates, locations, and appointments for all clinic sites can be found at the City of Northampton website. Go to www.northamptonma.gov and click on vaccine clinics. The clinics continue to offer Pfizer, pediatric Pfizer and Moderna vaccines, and in special situations, Johnson & Johnson. Clinics will also offer boosters to anyone ages five and up. The COVID vaccine is free for anyone from any community. Please bring your vaccine card and insurance card. If you do not have health insurance, you can still have a vaccine. Public health nurses are available at every clinic for your questions or concerns. Booster shots are one more layer of protection against COVID-19, and they prevent a huge number of people from needing to go to the hospital. We want to protect our most vulnerable or simply unlucky neighbors from getting the virus. We can't afford to let our guard down. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And welcome back. We are talking uh, with two members of a rather remarkable organization that we should all know about and too many of us don't know about called Marked by covid and we are speaking with um, uh, Jennifer Ritz Sullivan, our uh, regional justice leader, and also with a, a co-director, Kristen Urquiza. Kristen, I wanted to ask you, before the break, uh, Jennifer mentioned advocacy for a COVID Memorial Day. What Could you tell us about what that vision is? Yeah. Um, COVID Memorial Day, we're proposing for the first Monday of March to be recognized as a, as a holiday to grieve and set aside in time um, a, a day for um, us to observe this uh, horrific uh, pandemic and the loss of life that we've um, occurred and we've been advocating for this for the last two years, both on the local and state and federal level, and have found it to be something that can build bridges across divides and um, also really helps to recognize that this was a mass disabling event with unprecedented loss of life. It deserves a day for us to heal in the short term but also in the long term to be able to help teach future generations the importance of public health um, so that they're better prepared for um, what will come. Yeah, I mean, there's no way that, forgive me if this sounds like I'm undervaluing the tremendous loss from September 11th, there's no way to make up for the loss of those 3,000 lives. Or in both Vietnam and the Korean conflict, each of those cost 50,000 American lives. This pandemic costs over a million American lives. It's an unthinkable loss. And the saying that there should be some kind of a recognition of what we went through and some kind of a commitment to avoid making the same mistakes that were made so foolishly uh, for this pandemic, it, it's really, um, it's not that much to ask and we should all be paying attention to marked by COVID, as, as Kristen says. I want to turn to Jennifer, because regionally, you are someone who lives in this region. You have plans as well, don't you? I do. So um, I'm putting together a COVID memorial for the state of Massachusetts in Goshen 
and I've been fortunate enough to reach out to Richard Richardson of Three Sisters Sanctuary, who has gifted us the space. Um, this event was actually planned for last year, but with the rise of the Delta variant, uh, we chose to uh, postpone it to a time where it felt safer. And although the pandemic is still ongoing, um, we feel that given the eight acre outdoor sanctuary space to spread out on, and it is a massed event, um, that we're gonna be able to honor the folks who deserve the recognition. Um, and it's come together with the help of community, you know, uh, between Richard offering the space, Monty is going to be hosting it. Monty Belmonte uh, will be hosting. Monty Belmonte, a name that some may know. Um, and I, I feel really fortunate to be able to create a memorial space for folks that will continue to stay a space that they can revisit. Um, Loved ones are encouraged to bring trinkets that remind them of their loved ones or prayer cards. Maybe like your loved one was a poker player and you want to leave a chip. Um, those will stay in the sanctuary space. Um, and I think that's really important, right? Because grief is this lifelong process. So to have a place to come back to, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but Three Sister Sanctuary was really built around grief. Um, Richard speaks about losing his brother and then one of his daughters, which um, really prompted him to change the name to Three Sister Sanctuary and cultivate a healing space. It's on community. Route 112 in Goshen, and if you haven't seen uh, Three Sister Sanctuary, it is a trip to go there and uh, worth it for anything. But here we have real purposeful uh, motivation to go there. Um, we only have one minute left. I would just like to um make sure that people know that they could support your organization uh kristen can you tell people how they can support mark by covid yeah the best way to support is to pitch in what you can jennifer mentioned we're all volunteers contributions go to help keeping the lights on and doing events like what we're doing in massachusetts for the bereaved community and folks can give online by going to markbycovid.com backslash donate you're on our website now, you can see a big button that says donate there. And no gift is too small nor too large. So I appreciate you all pitching in what you can. Um, Kristen Urquiza, uh, your dad sounds like just a salt of the earth guy, the kind of guy who builds countries like we all want to live in. And he was taken from us far too soon. Jennifer, your mom, it sounds like she's a lifelong learner and had so much more to contribute. She was taken from us far too soon. I uh, know that both of your parents would be really proud of the effort that you're making. And marked by COVID, it speaks for itself. A million lost in this country, six and a half million in this world, and just millions and millions who have been affected like these two. Please look it up. Marked by COVID, support the organization. Let's remember those who we should be remembering. Thank you, ladies, for being with us today. Thank you. Thank you. We're going to be back with Nan Parati's interesting thing. It is uh, the National Make a Will Month. And we're going to be talking to Renee Rostoffer with Nan right after these messages. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. For WHMP News, I'm Jess Tyler. Over 100 people came out Monday night for a community outreach meeting for a proposed marijuana dispensary in Florence. Residents expressed opposition to the new business, which would take over the building currently occupied by Pizza Factory. A major concern was the number of students who walked by the location from JFK Middle School. The next step in the process is for owner Marco Aranzola to go back to the mayor in order to get a host community agreement signed. Construction of the new Holyoke Soldiers Home will be getting an influx of cash. The U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs is providing $130 million through a state home construction grant program. In May, Governor Charlie Baker signed a $400 million spending bill to replace the facility which was built in 1952. A potential target distribution center in Westfield is causing concern. 
The center would be built along North Road, Falcon Drive, and Southampton Road. The facility would be about 525,000 square feet. President of the Westfield City Council, William Oneski, spoke with 22 News. Bringing in new business, there's jobs that come to the city, additional taxes, but at what cost? Alternatively, I don't feel this is appropriate. If the facility is approved, it would add 200 tractor-trailer trips and 1,000 employee vehicle trips daily to the area. The Westfield Planning Board has 90 days to take an official vote. Scattered showers likely this afternoon, a high of 72 to 76. Mostly cloudy showers. There may even be some steady light rain this evening, an overnight low of 54 to 60. Then for Thursday, mixture of sun and clouds, slight chance of a shower, 76 to 80. Mostly sunny breezy on Friday and a high in the mid 80s. I'm 22 News Storm Team Meteorologist Brian Lapis, 101.5 WHMP. What does the Supreme Court's overruling of Roe v. Wade and a number of other decisions from the court mean for religious liberty in this country? We'll hear the views of Reverend Michael McSherry and Rabbi Justin David on a special edition of The Reverend and the Rabbi, beginning Thursday at 9 o'clock. Bill Newman, weekdays at 9 and again at 5. WHMP News, Information, and the Arts. We are talking random whites. Every Friday morning, Monty visits the wine snobs to talk about wine at State Street. This is from a company called La Pere, Gros Monsang. Gros, apparently, when you see it written, it looks like you're drinking something called Gros Monsang. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's Gros. In the past, has mostly been relegated to bulk wine or distilling grapes for brandy. Petit Monsang, which I think means like little guy, and Gros Monsang means big guy. It almost has like a dessert wine feel to it. It's susceptible to botrytis, so they do make sweet wines. This tastes like it almost might have that, which is like, it's essentially, they call it Noble yeah, Rot, it, which is my next yeah, band name. Don't grapes. steal it. We, we, so mentioned, weird. we mentioned it was a brandy grape, and this wine does taste like a brandy. Yeah. Drink this before dinner. Maybe drink it after dinner. Because it's a brandy-ish kind of feel yeah, to it. This yeah, is a unique it's wine. very different. 1899. It is organic grapes and certified organic. What's the name of this one again? La Perre. Find your favorite wine and your next favorite wine at State Street. One thing I like about working at ServiceNet is that in addition to being a manager, I can still be a clinician. If you're a licensed mental health clinician who wants to make your own hours while also being part of a progressive community mental health team, join us at ServiceNet. For people working private practice who want to also still have a commitment to community mental health, working at ServiceNet gives them the opportunity to do both at the same time. Go to the employment page at servicenet.org. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And hello, and thanks for staying with us, those who are, and thanks for joining us, those who are just joining us. And uh, this is our weekly The Interesting Thing. I am staring at Nan Parati's Interesting Thing right now. <laughs> For That's, this month. That doesn't sound good. <laughs> <laughs> the interesting thing doesn't think that sounds so good. Hi, Nan. Hi. The interesting thing is very interesting, though. As you all know, because you pay attention to everything I tell you, I travel a lot. And my friend Renee Rastorfer is a lawyer who specializes in wills, powers of attorney, and things like that. And I was ha hanging out with her recently, and she said, you travel a lot. Do you have – what happens if something happens to you on the road? And I said, nothing, I don't know. And she said, no, we're not doing that. You need power of attorney. You need, you need to figure this out. And so I said, okay. But, you know, those are those things you don't think about because you don't want to think about them. She made me think about it, and it was so much easier. So I said, Renee, you're coming on the show and talking about this because then I found out this is National Make-A-Will Month. <laughs> it is. It really is. So, you know, now we're real. So, Renee, thank you so much for being here even though you're shy, but I really, really appreciate it. Not only am I shy, but I said I wasn't going to do it three times, so <laughs> I don't know how it happened I landed here. That's Nan, you've been Nan Parati. <laughs> Nan Parati, yes. <laughs> That's what happens. <laughs> but see, you did things for me, so now I'm doing things for you. I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting the word out for you. So, Renee, um, you've been a lawyer for a long time, but you actually started doing this more recently, and it was like it was, it was a, taking care of your own family that helped that got you into this, wasn't it? Yeah, I think that that's not an uncommon way to get involved in this area of law. Uh, for, but for me, I had an aunt who I was extremely close with who lived in Florida, 
And she started to lose competency in like 2006. And I had been given her power of attorney back in like 2002. And like many, you know, relatives when they're handed something like a durable power of attorney, I never looked at it. And I didn't even really know what it was. And I said, I'm never going to need this. Nothing is ever going to happen to you. But that turned out not to be true. And that started my voyage on yeah. this path. I'm just going to interrupt you just because listeners might not know what you mean by a durable power of attorney. So that's a great stopping point because a durable power of attorney means that it endures uh, through incompetency and it terminates on death, but it is the thing that will save you from having to get a guardianship over somebody if somebody for whom you are a durable power of attorney loses competency. Right. So, so like in my case, let's say I'm driving down the road, I get in an accident, let's just say, because I have to go to New Jersey soon, and that's the scariest place in the world to drive. Um, so what I now have set up through you is that my sister, my niece, that they actually would make decisions for me if I can't make my own decisions. Absolutely. Right. And that's going to give you, and it has given you, a, a certain amount of peace of mind. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. And it's the kind of thing, too, that you just don't think about, you don't worry about. Well, I do. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> um, so what? So and what I want people out there to do is start thinking about this because it is important. And you and, and what does, month is it? It's, it's National Make a Will Month, or better, in your words, National Make a, a Durable Power of Attorney Month. Right? Yeah, right. I'm I'm all about durable powers of attorney. <laughs> exactly. So 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 talk a bit more about what's the difference. In fact, in my case. You said better than making a will, Nan, you should make it put your, I, only, I own a little bit of property, put that in a trust. What's the difference between a will and a trust? Why did you come up with that? So uh, that's a very complicated question, but I think some of the most uh, easily accessible differences between the two is one just eases that whole transition uh, between you and the next generation, and that would be a trust. Mm -hmm. uh, it makes it sort of uh, something that you can really administer within, you know, your unit. You can have family members be trustees, whereas the will is going to get you involved in the probate, in the probate court system. What does that mean? If you own property in your own name, it's going to ha and you die, mm -hmm. it's going to have to go through a probate process to transfer the title to that whatever to somebody else. Mm -hmm. uh, whereas if you have a trust, it's not the trust owns the property. So when you pass, it's just through an administrative act on the part of the trustee passed to the next generation. Uh -huh. Or the beneficiaries is not necessarily the next generation. Right, right. So the probate procedure, you know, it's not necessarily something that you want to avoid at all costs, but there are reasons to at least have that be an intelligent choice that you make. Uh -huh. And then you also say it's, it's even cheaper to do a trust than a will? I think that that really would be a matter of context. I wouldn't say that across the board. That's true because you're going to have, if you have, uh, a trustee who's an institutional trustee, mm. for example, you'll be paying trustee fees. Mm. But I do think that you'll be avoiding the whole probate cost, the cost of the attorney that's going to lead you through the probate. And it's going to be a much quicker process. You're not going to be waiting a year for the creditors to lodge their claims against your estate. Mm -hmm. You know, things are going to move much more quickly in a trust situation. Right. It also made me feel like I should start being a beneficiary to like, you know, different radio stations and things, you know, <laughs> by the Nan Peretti Trust. But, uh, so we'll see how that goes. <laughs> um, um, so let's say, so what other, what other kinds of, I mean, this is really and truly stuff that I was just putting off thinking about forever and ever and ever. I didn't want, when I think, I think about it every once in a while and think, oh, I'm still young, I'm not going to have to worry about that. What's some other advice that you have for people who are maybe not quite as young as they think they are? <laughs> um, I'll live it up. <laughs> That's a good one. Seize the day. Uh, and I think another thing to think about is looking at the accounts that you have, looking at your, IR, your IRAs and maybe stock accounts that you have and being sure that appropriate beneficiary designations are, are on those accounts. Mm -hmm. uh, and not just having your main beneficiary, but also thinking about having contingent beneficiaries on there. Mm, and yeah. what happens if one of your beneficiaries dies before you? 
Uh, also having transfer on deaths in place on your stock accounts, which can just save you a whole lot of misery if you don't have them. Actually, not you, mm-hmm. but your, your people. Yeah, those who you leave behind. <laughs> and actually, you know, come to think of it too, because this is something I had wondered after we started talking, had you and I not done anything, I just carried on and, and then whoops, something happens. What does happen when you die when if you don't have if you haven't set anything up what actually does happen? So that's actually an interesting question to me and I actually looked at something before I came here uh, and it's, I I looked at the laws of intestate succession because uh-huh. if you die without a will in place your the disposition of your estate will be governed by the laws of intestate succession which are created by the Commonwealth, obviously. Uh So there's just a scheme set up. So if you die with uh, a spouse, your spouse will get everything under the laws of intestate succession after a probate process. Mm -hmm. So not automatically. Mm -hmm. If you die uh, with a spouse and children, that'll be, the spouse will get it if they're all children from that marriage. If you die with a spouse and uh, sets of children from two different marriages, Mm. that's a different kind of disposition. And even in some instances, if you die with a certain configuration, which I'm not going to remember what it is, so please don't ask me. I won't. um, Your parents can get something. Oh, really? Yes. And then if you were someone like me, I have no spouse, I have no kids, I have no parents, what would happen then? Siblings. Siblings. Oh, I would all go to the siblings. It's always good to have two lawyers in a room. Especially when one was going to make a stupid joke and the other was going to actually answer your question. <laughs> That's good. Um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, you guys out there, you need to start thinking about this stuff because it is a serious business. And you're never, I mean, is there, this is really a dumb question, but. but no, if I can't answer it, what does that mean about me? No, it's a dumb question because because it's, it's actually a very human question. Um, the, the real answer would be it's never too early to start thinking about it, but truly, when should one start thinking about this really and truly? You know, uh, as soon as you pass, as soon as you turn 18, mm-hmm. that's a good time for your, who's ever around you to think about getting you a durable power of attorney because your parents can no longer make decisions on your behalf. So even if you're just like an 18-year-old going off to college and nobody holds your durable power of attorney, we're right back to that whole conservatorship, guardianship issue that I raised in the beginning, which is expensive and tedious. So really, if you have kids going off to university this mm-hmm. fall, you might want to think of going to a lawyer to have a durable power of attorney uh, drafted. And what about a healthcare proxy? Right. I mean, those are not decisions that you automatically get to well, make. Well, you should explain what a healthcare proxy is. For those of you out there who do not know what a healthcare proxy is, it's the document that uh, enables whoever you appoint to be your proxy to make decisions about your end of life the treatment that you want to have. Right. Uh, so like well, not even end of life. When you can't make those decisions yourself, it's right. the person who will make those decisions for you. Uh-huh. Um, and in Massachusetts, you can have a series of people listed on your proxy. It does not mean that they're going to have a confab about anything, but it means that the first person gets asked first, the second person, if that person's not available, you go down to the second person, and then if that person's not available, you go to the third person. So it's a good idea to have a healthcare proxy with some alternatives in there. Yeah, even at like even at age eighteen or something, because anything could anything could happen. <laughs> you remember and in fact, that so much that anything could happen. I think we have to take a break. <laughs> <laughs> right, and we didn't no documents to prepare before we take a break. We are going to take a break. We're going to be back with uh, Nan and with Renee talking about National Make a Will Month. We'll be right back. Stay with us. This is the Afternoon Fuzz with Fuzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. The Western Mass Business Show with local dynamo Tara Brewster, Saturdays at 11 and Sundays at 2, only on WHMP. Brought to you by Greenfield Savings Bank with offices all throughout Hampshire and Franklin counties. Greenfieldsavings.com. The Western Mass Business Show with Tara Brewster, WHMP.
Do you know what's happening this Friday at 9 a.m.? Is this week's Shop Friday local burgers and fries? Correct. They go on sale this Friday at 9 a.m. Full value gift certificates and you save 30%. Local burgers and fries on the corner in Northampton on the main Dragon Keen plus local burgie. Burgers and barbecue in Williamsburg. Get ready to save 30% beginning Friday at 9 a.m. The Shop 30 store at whmp.com. When it's happening here in the Valley, we're talking about it. What, what I'm trying to communicate is that there are many, many layers of, of safety management in place at every source to ensure that we reduce as much risk as, as possible. Does the Bliss Street Station intentionally vent gas regularly? Because I can tell you that it vents gas. Pretty much every time I've gone to that area, I have smelled gas. 1015, 1400, and 1240. We are the Valley. We are WHMP. Is there corn chowder today? There are things they only make certain times of year at Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant. And with the corn so tall, there might be corn chowder today. There might be blueberry pie. The kitchen garden farm in Sunderland might arrive at Paul and Elizabeth's today with eggplant or zucchini. What'll they make with those? Eating at Paul and Elizabeth's isn't exactly like eating out of your own garden, but it's close. Paul and Elizabeth's restaurant, inside Thorns in Northampton. This Tuesday, the Pines Theater at Look Park in Florence will be transported back in time to the 90s for Performance 32, Nevermind the 90s, a live tribute musical fundraiser. All your favorite local hero bands will be performing as their favorite bands from the 90s. Spanish for Hitchhiking as Pearl Jam, Winter Pills as The Sundays, Soul Magnets as Miss Lauren Hill, Sun Parade as Elliot Smith, Kimaya Diggs as Whitney Houston, Problems with Dragons as Nirvana, Bunnies as They Might Be Giants, and so many more. Each year in August, the Northampton Arts Council and the parent-teacher organizations of Northampton's public school system join forces to raise funds for arts enrichment in the schools and our community for the premier end-of-the-summer musical party. Performance 32, never mind the 90s. This Tuesday, starting at 4 p.m., Pines Theater, Look Park. Tickets available in person at State Street Food Store in Northampton and Cooper's Corner in Florence. Or buy online, hamparts.org. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. And we are back with this week's interesting thing with Nan Parati and Renee Rastafer. But before we talk uh, again about why it's important to make sure that you have the papers that you need um, to ensure that your loved ones are protected should something happen to you uh, and that you're protected, I just wanted to flag that on Friday... Um, Senator Eric Lesser will be with us. He's a candidate for lieutenant governor. We have all three candidates coming next uh, in the next five shows. And on Monday, it's a really special day because Professor Emeritus Richard Wolf, the nationally syndicated economist, will be talking about capitalism in our 4 o'clock hour, um, followed by Greenfield Mayor Roxanne Wiedergartner, who will be talking all things Greenfield. On Tuesday, we have GCC's New President Dr. Michelle Strutt will be on, and on Wednesday, Representative Paul Mark will be joining us. So uh, finally, on Friday, not finally, we have so much good stuff happening next week, but Andrea Campbell, who's a candidate for Attorney General, the third Attorney General candidate, um, who will be uh, with us, followed by Monday when Tammy Gouvier, that's on the 29th, the candidate for Attorney General, will be returning again. So uh, we have a lot of good stuff happening in the afternoon, but, but nothing better than today's interesting thing, Which Renee is, Rostoffer. Right, talking about, you know, death and dying. It's really, really fun. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking of death and dying, a lot of people don't want to even think about this stuff. Um, what all does it, and, and one of the reasons they don't want to is because they're afraid of what am I going to have to do? What am I going to have to think about? What do I have to reveal about myself? What is the process? I know that you aren't taking new clients, but there are a lot of people out there who are taking new clients. What are things that people might be thinking about as they reach out to... Well, can I back up your question to where... Yes. I, I loved where your question started, which is, why do you think people avoid it, Renee? I mean, two possible explanations. One, it's denial. I don't want to think about that. Right. And I know when I talk about my kids, they don't want to hear about it, you know? But also, it feels complicated, and like I have to, as, as Nan was just saying disclose all this stuff. Why do you think people avoid it? 
Um, well, first, I, you're correct. You do have to disclose a lot of things. So that's why it's important that whomever you choose to be your attorney through this process has to be someone that you feel comfortable with, I think. Yeah. Um, but why do people avoid talking about death? Uh-huh. <laughs> um, I, th- I personally have not fa- found people to be that reluctant to go into what we have to talk about. Uh, I think that that might be in part because I am very comfortable talking about death. I have no idea why, uh, but I just feel very matter-of-fact about it, and I can very matter-of-factly talk about others' death. <laughs> and You were very good at talking about my potential death. It was great. <laughs> and I think that that just kind of sets the tone uh, for what we're talking about. Um, I think one reason, one thing that does bring people to an estate planning attorney or elder law attorney is somebody close to them dies. Right. Uh, that's happened in the number of my most recent clients. Somebody close to them died, and, uh, and then in some cases, somebody close to them died with nothing in place, and they see the utter mayhem right. that that creates, and they you know, say that I'm never going to put my family through that. So, uh, and then, you know, of course, I think probably on some level, people are not thrilled to talk, to talk about their passing, leaving their children, not seeing their grandchildren marry. But I think that we all have a point where we just get to and we realize it's inevitable. Yeah. And Nan, I, I loved earlier when Renee brought up uh, healthcare proxies. We have, we share a friendship with someone who just had to be a proxy for his wife who was no longer conscious, and they were starting to take very heroic measures, Mm -hmm. which would cause her uh, to be uh, brain damaged, but still live. And he had the courage at that moment to say, um, no more, that's enough, because he had a healthcare proxy. Right, right. May I say, inject something into that process, too? Um, When you talk about he had the courage to do that, uh, and that does take courage. The thing that will also help your family members do that is by having a living will. And for me, the point of a living will is that it's an opportunity for you to actually think about what kinds of end-of-life measures you are comfortable having and not having, what kinds of estates, estate you're willing to live in, and what you're just not willing to tolerate to just keep existing. Um, but I also really like the uh, with a living will, when you give it to the, your healthcare proxy, I always encourage my clients to take that moment to actually read it with them, mm. to go over the various things, so everybody's clear about what you mean. Right. And I, I think the reason to do that is because you're asking someone to take on a huge, potentially huge responsibility, and I think you owe it to them. That will live with them forever. The decision yes. right. that they make is going to live with them. Yes. So you're, you're absolutely right, Renee. I know Marcin and I have uh, a living will, and while it's not binding on anyone, it expresses to the people who have to make the decision what you would like if you were in that situation. Oh, uh, Yeah. I think, I think everybody has a responsibility to do, do that if you're going to ask someone to make those kinds of decisions about you. Yeah, absolutely. When, um, and that's, I'm, th- I'm like really, really glad you brought that up because that was a very important conversation that I just got together with my family and went over all this with them, and it was, it was good. It was good. It's just the life of the party. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Forget the one-year-old and the four-year-old who were toddling around. I was talking about death and dying, and people had the most fun with that. <laughs> Well, I know Renee will appreciate this, but what I've done um, for the last, you know, um, I'm in my early 70s, and for about the last, I think since I turned 65, every year, the anniversary every year of the first one, I write a letter to our two children and their spouses, and I just tell them what we now have by way of assets, where we keep it. All the, all the information they need to be able to track down whatever we have, you know, in terms of insurances, and um, send them copies of the wills, the, the latest copy um, of our wills, our healthcare proxy, just so they know. So there's no ambiguity in whatever changes happen. We just built a garage, so I have to update that thing now. <laughs> but seriously, it's, um, I think it's so important for them. Yeah. And they don't want to hear it, but they have it. Yeah, I think that's lovely, and it's just a really, really caring thing for you to do for your family. And I know that response because when my aunt said, "Here's," a, I had been a lawyer since 1982, but I 
I didn't do this kind of law. And I really wasn't that clear about what she was handing me. Uh, and that was my response. Mm-hmm. I, I'm never going to need this. So I totally understand having that response. Right. Um, what sorts of, what, I mean, what, what is the procedure? I mean, can you outline the procedure? When somebody does come to talk about this stuff, what is the procedure? How involved in it? How long does it take? All that stuff. I'm sure that this is something that's going to vary uh, not only from client to client, but from attorney to, to attorney. But I do think um, at, a ba- at a base, you need to have a questionnaire. Everybody has their own questionnaire. I, I try to uh, err on the side of a short one, um, six pages, and it gives me a snapshot of that person, all of their assets, because I don't feel like I can advise somebody if I don't know what exactly their holdings are. So when somebody comes to me and thinks that they're just going to have me draft a will, that doesn't happen. I have to have a conversation about how you have to complete this. Uh, I tend to get on a pretty rapid schedule. Um, I, in my first meeting, after I get the questionnaire back, I map out the next set of deadlines. I'll have drafts to them by this date. I'll give them this much time. I, I do take their input on how much time they'll need to get it back to me and that I can project uh, when we'll have a signing date. So, I mean, I think it reasonably can be done within a two-month period. Mm-hmm. But, of course, I mean, I think that that can also vary in any context. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was, it was, it was actually pretty, I was, I was surprised when you and I sat down to do this. Finally, when you forced me into it, I was actually very surprised and pleased at how easy it was. And, and it was great. Yeah. It it can actually, this is going to sound weird, but it can actually be a little bit fun because most people want to get this done Mm -hmm. uh, and they feel a sense of relief that they're getting it done. And I think that that goes a long way to making it worthwhile. Oh, absolutely. I was actually very, very happy that you did that. And I recommend that everybody out there call your lawyer and say, make me do this. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I don't know how much the lawyer will charge you just for that you know, short conversation. But I just want to say people one. can actually call me and ask me if uh, they want a recommendation. Oh, uh, for and how a, do people contact you? Oh, so if you Google me, I have a website, and if you put in my name, Renee Rastorfer, R-A-S-T as in Tom, O-R-F as in Frank, E-R, it should be, I pay for this, the first hit that you get. <laughs> if it's not, let me know. But I do have a website, uh, and I would, be a, I would be willing to direct people to uh, good sources. Great. Renee Rastorfer, thank you so much for joining us it today. Was, it was really fun. <laughs> Thank Man Parati. Yes. She's an interesting thing. I know she is. She did much <laughs> inter- more interesting than she thought she was. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, here we've been talking with thing one and thing two. Again. As Dr. Seuss <laughs> says. Thanks for joining us today, folks. We're going to be back tomorrow with Brian Adams. He'll be talking climate. Of course, we have a huge climate bill that the president just signed. Um, and we'll have take five with Bruce Nimzik and his guest, Barbara Weems, the vocalist. Can't wait. Have a great evening. Talk to you tomorrow. This is the Afternoon Buzz with Buzz Eisenberg, 101.5 WHMP. Here's a slice of advice about pizza boxes. It's okay to recycle the entire pizza box as long as it's empty. For a long time, creasy boxes were assumed to cause recycling problems, but a new study proved they don't. It's time to capture the 3 billion pizza boxes used annually in the U.S. Visit RecycleSmartMA.org to learn more about what can and can't get recycled. After you've enjoyed tonight's pizza, turn the box inside out, discard what falls out, and recycle the rest. Brought to you by the Northampton DPW. I didn't think it was possible for me to be an alcoholic. I was 24 with a good career. I thought that alcoholism only the happened only in the middle The only live and local talk in the Valley and I for the Valley. WHMP Northampton. WHMQ Greenfield. A Northampton Radio Group station. It's 5 o'clock.